You're listening to This Week in Fantasy Baseball. Hello, everyone, and welcome to This Week in Fantasy Baseball. I'm Lee Keller, joined by John Kuh. On today's show, we'll cover the latest news around baseball, discuss player performances from the past week, and recommend some hitter and pitcher streamers for the week ahead. But John, before we get into all of that, how have you been? Pretty good. Uh, I did, uh, for the first time, went to every single game in a baseball series, which was pretty fun. And it just so happened that it was going to be the one where the Twins swept the Royals. So Wow, cool. Three really solid games to, to go to, which was pretty cool. Yeah, that sounds like a great time. I've never been to a full series of games in person. I've been to double headers. I've been to two of three, but I've never been to three of three. So that's a pretty cool feat you got there. Yeah, I can see why most people don't do it, though, because it was a <laughs> lot of baseball in three days. And I was like, by by the end of it, I mean, I was glad because, you know, the Twins won every single one. And we'll talk about it a little bit later on, on Wednesday's game, uh, the pitching performance there. Um, so at least it wasn't boring. Um, but it was kind of a lot to be like, oh, it's a baseball game three days in a row. And um, the Orioles series is coming up, and I don't know if I'm going to go to any of those games, but it was uh, still a fun ordeal to just do that for the, for just once in my life. Yeah, and you live close to the park, so it's not too bad for you to get down there. Right. Yeah. For me, I'm like a one-hour drive from City Field, yeah. and <laughs> New York traffic just doesn't hit well. <laughs> So. No, yeah, I, I can imagine it's gonna suck for you. I mean, even if you took the subway there, like you get off on the uh, on the seven, and probably everyone else is trying to yep. get on the get on the subway at the same time you are. Yeah, New York subways are not very fun to go around, so I'm glad I can avoid them at all costs. But for me, yeah. I actually went to a birthday party for my friend who it was a 31 year old birthday party, but lots of fun because it was Survivor themed. So we were able to do like survivor tasks and his wife set it all up and it was really fun. I actually came in second. I was very proud. Well, there you go. That's uh, clearly you would survive. You would stay on the island for a while. Yeah. I don't really know about the whole like surviving part, like eating and being able to survive. But yeah, I did well in the challenges and stuff. I balanced a thing of water on my head for a while. I solved the puzzle faster than everybody else. I mean, I did pretty well. And the only reason I didn't win is because there were three hidden immunity idols, which we played a little bit different. Uh, but it was where if you won a challenge, you got a victory point, and whoever had the most yep. victory points at the end won. Mm-hmm. And those idols gave victory points, and the other team just stockpiled their guy, and he ended up winning by three. And they had three uh, victory points from idols. So, yeah, unfortunately, I wasn't able to win. But it was a lot of fun. So I had a good time, and it was a good week. The Mets are starting to play better baseball. I'm happy about that. <laughs> yeah. Both of our teams are starting to play better baseball, which is which is nice. Much needed. Much needed for both of us. But before we get into this episode, I'd like to remind all of you that you can follow our podcast on Twitter at ThisWeekPL, and you can send us your fantasy baseball questions to our email at ThisWeekPLPod at gmail.com. Lastly, make sure that you subscribe to or follow the podcast on whatever streaming platform that you listen to your podcasts on, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, we're on all of them, so make sure that you subscribe to the podcast and leave a five-star review if you enjoy listening to us. And before we get into this episode as well, we just wanted to say that next week, we will not have an episode of This Week in Fantasy Baseball. We are also taking the all-star break off, so you won't have an episode next week, but the following week, we will be back to our regular schedule. Now, let's get into the MLB news since the last podcast. We start with some unfortunate news here. Mike Trout of the Angels was placed on the 10-day IL on Tuesday, July 4th with a left hamate fracture. On Monday at the plate, he took a swing, immediately shook his hand in pain, and then came out of the game. Trout underwent surgery on Wednesday to remove his fractured left hamate bone and is expected to miss four to eight weeks. It's such a shame to see, especially with such a freak injury like this, John, but it's crazy how we can almost predict some people's injuries like DeGrom and Trout. It's really bad. And you just want to see them stay healthy to just establish their Hall of Fame careers. Yeah, I mean, the Angels are just in all sorts of trouble um, right now. Um, and Mike Trout being hurt is just the the proverbial kind of opposite cherry on top you want from that. Yeah. Um, and yeah, for, for Trout to get hurt, it, it yeah, it does suck because it... it 
it actually wasn't even that great of a season for him this year. But the fact that he was playing like almost every single game was like noteworthy in and of itself. So, um, yeah, it's it's just unfortunate that this this happens. Yeah, he obviously wasn't shining like he normally does, but if he stays healthy the whole season, those stats are going to be there by the end of the season. So right, yep. It would have been great if he could stay healthy the whole time, but unfortunately goes down with this and is going to miss four to eight weeks. Speaking of the Angels, Brandon Drury of the Angels was placed on the 10-day IL on Sunday with a left shoulder contusion. Jose Altuve of the Astros was placed on the 10-day IL on Thursday with left oblique discomfort. Altuve said that the MRI results showed a minor issue, which was better than what he was expecting. While he didn't comment on a possible return timeline, he expressed optimism about returning shortly after the All-Star break. If I had to guess, he's probably going to miss two to four weeks and two being on the friendly optimism side, four probably being the realistic side, so we'll see about Jose Altuve. Carlos Rodon of the Yankees will be activated from the 60-day IL and start against the Cubs on Friday. It will be his Yankees end 2023 season debut. It's Thursday as we record this, and you'll be hearing this on Saturday, so he'll have already pitched, but we'll be sure to cover his start in the next episode of This Week in Fantasy Baseball. Clayton Kershaw of the Dodgers was placed on the 15-day IL on Monday, July 3rd with left shoulder inflammation. Kershaw said that his shoulder injury is trending upward and that he feels confident that he'll be ready to pitch after the All-Star break. Dustin May of the Dodgers will undergo surgery on July 18th to repair the flexor tendon in his right elbow. He'll miss the remainder of the season and maybe a bit of the 2024 season as well. Michael Waka of the Padres was placed on the 15-day IL on Tuesday, retroactive to July 2nd with right shoulder inflammation. Nelson Cruz was DFA'd by the Padres on Tuesday, July 4th. Bryce Miller of the Mariners was placed on the 15-day IL on Monday, July 3rd with a blister on the middle finger of his pitching hand. He's apparently not going to pitch for a while, according to manager Scott Service, so I'm not really sure what that's about. I don't know if that's a inning manipulation sort of thing, but I don't really see why a blister would make him not pitch for a while. John, do you see anything there? Usually that's like a thing that people come back like within a week. Um, right. I mean, uh, one big name that had a, just recently had a blister on his finger was Shohei Otani. Um, now, granted, it's a little bit different because he also bats, so he, the fact that he played in the next game wasn't that remarkable. But um, I know he's going to skip the All-Star game, but he'll probably be back on his regular schedule once games begin again. So, yeah, it does feel weird that they're saying that he's not going to pitch for a while. This might be a thing where Bryce Miller, I mean, we also know like he he's never pitched this many innings before. Um, and so maybe it's a like what you said, an innings manipulation thing here. Hopefully he gets healthy soon and gets rid of that blister and can pitch again soon because not pitching for a while is very strange a very weird report there from the Mariners camp Ty France of the Mariners returned to the lineup on Thursday after missing three straight games from being involved in a collision with Rays infielder Isak Paredes on Sunday speaking of Isak Paredes of the Rays also returned to the lineup on Thursday after missing a single game from that collision he suffered bruised ribs but seems okay and ready to play Shane McClanahan of the Rays was placed on the 15-day IL with mid-back tightness on Saturday. Jazz Chisholm Jr. of the Marlins was placed on the 10-day IL on Monday, July 3rd with a left oblique strain. It was diagnosed as a mild oblique strain following an MRI on Tuesday, so hopefully he's not out for a very long time. Garrett Whitlock of the Red Sox was placed on the 15-day IL on Tuesday with right elbow inflammation. He was diagnosed with a bone bruise in that right elbow, so that seems to be an okay thing compared to what it could have been. James Paxton of the Red Sox was placed on the paternity leave list on Tuesday and will be activated to start Saturday against the Athletics. Andrew Heaney of the Rangers was also placed on the paternity leave list on Tuesday, but will return on Friday to start against the Nationals. Cattell Marte of the Diamondbacks returned to the lineup on Thursday after missing two straight games due to lower back discomfort. Royce Lewis of the Twins was placed on the 10-day IL on Sunday with a grade 2 left oblique strain. He should miss around six weeks. Brandon Woodruff of the Brewers is aiming to throw a bullpen session this weekend. He's been sidelined since April 11th due to a grade 2 subscapular strain. Woodruff could rejoin the rotation around late July or early August. Tommy Edmond of the Cardinals is day-to-day -day with right wrist discomfort. Edmond told John Denton of MLB.com that he felt intense pain in his right wrist while taking pregame batting practice on Wednesday. He could be headed to the IL, so keep an eye out on Tommy Edmond. 
Tyler O'Neill of the Cardinals began a rehab assignment on Tuesday. He's been out since early May due to lingering back issues. Estiuri Ruiz of the Athletics wasn't in Thursday's lineup after being removed from Wednesday's game after tweaking his right shoulder when he dove back to first base on a pickoff attempt. He's considered day-to-day for now. Tyro Estrada of the Giants was placed on the 10-day IL on Monday, July 3rd due to a fractured left hand. He was hit by a pitch on the hand in Sunday's game and is now expected to miss four to six weeks. The timeline will be longer if he requires surgery, though. Dansby Swanson of the Cubs was removed from Wednesday's game after suffering a left heel contusion when he planted awkwardly on the first base bag in the fifth inning. He wasn't in the lineup on Thursday and is considered day-to-day for now. Riley Green of the Tigers could be activated from the 10-day IL this weekend, according to manager A.J. Hinch. He's missed five weeks with a stress fracture in his left fibula. Michael Kopech of the White Sox was placed on the 15-day IL on Sunday, July 2nd with right shoulder inflammation. He's expected to return to the White Sox's rotation after the All-Star break. Oscar Colas was recalled by the White Sox on Tuesday, July 4th. And last but not least, Colton Kowser was called up by the Orioles on Wednesday, July 5th from AAA Norfolk. The number 14 prospect, according to MLB Pipeline, was slashing 330, 459, and 537 with 10 homers and 40 RBI through 257 plate appearances in AAA to earn the call-up. If you need some outfield help and Kowser is out there, scoop him up quickly. He should already be rostered in all keeper and dynasty formats, so you're probably out of luck there. But in your redraft leagues, if he's available, he's worth the stash. So, John, any final notes about this list? Yeah, I mean, there's a there's a lot of guys that are day to day or going on the IL, uh, which could be worrying. But I, a lot of teams like to use the All Star break just to uh, get guys a couple more days of rest because obviously, you know, days on the All Star break still count towards the number of days on the IL, and so that that kind of helps players miss less games. Um, and so uh, there's still a lot of names, obviously, that we should be worried about here. But sometimes. You know, they're just placed on the IL for a cautionary reason. And, you know, they'll know that they'll get an extra four days that they don't have to worry about um, missing for a player. So, um, yeah, a lot of guys day-to-day day to day now or on the IL, but I, I wouldn't necessarily panic just yet. Yeah, I wouldn't panic either. It's been a very bad year for injuries, and I feel like I say that every single year. I just feel like it gets worse and worse, and the injuries just pile up. And this year on my fantasy teams, I'm experiencing it, I think, the worst ever. I've never had as many injuries as I do right now. So it's crazy to see all these big-name guys and all these role-playing guys go down with injury, but the All-Star break is the best reset button you can have. Everyone takes a week break. If they're injured, they basically just get a free week off. And this is the time to just reset, heal up, and get back to action right when the All-Star break is over. So I'm looking forward to this because my teams certainly need it. They need a little bit of a defibrillator boost here. So I'm hoping that the IL spots can clear up very soon. Do you have a lot of injuries this year, John? Uh, I've been able to dodge a decent amount, although I should say that's only on my home league team. I mean, my home league team, my, my pitchers are just getting decimated by injury, but, <laughs> yeah. um, but that being said, uh, this week was kind of bad because Otani had the day-to-day thing, right. although he was back batting, which was fine. Uh, Tyra Estrada got hurt. Doesn't look like he'll be here for a while. Um, Estrue Ruiz got hurt and then, um, uh, you didn't mention, but it's kind of, you know, not that big of a name. Josh Naylor, who's my first baseman, also got hurt. So, you know, right before playoffs start in my home league, like in two weeks, uh, yeah, a bunch of guys just get hurt. But then in my other like Yahoo leagues that I'm participating in, in Pitros and things like that, like I've been dealing with injuries so much. And uh, Yahoo, are, are those leagues only allow for three players on your injured list? Oh, okay. And I'm just basically like starting injured guys because I just don't have space anymore. <laughs> yeah, that's really rough. And That's what I feel like in my 15-team NFBC leagues where there's no IL spots where I have to either drop guys or just have them on my bench and it's impossible Mm -hmm. to replace them. And thankfully, in my home league on Yahoo, normally it's three IL spots, like you said. But when COVID happened, our league voted on two more IL spots. So we had five Mm -hmm. total. And right now in my home league, which granted everyone, it's a 10-team keeper league and I've accumulated a lot of good picks and a lot of good keepers. But my IL right now, my five spots are Jordan Alvarez, Aaron Judge, O'Neal Cruz, Hunter Green, Chris Sale, and then Jose Altuve just went down. So I have six injured guys that could be all-stars. So 
really not fun for me to go through at the moment. But injuries are just part of the game and you got to overcome them. And it's just tough. I feel like this season's more tough than most. But hey, you got to keep trekking and you got to keep pushing through. But as I say that, we'll push through to an ad break. We will be right back after this. We are back and it's time for the weekly performance recap. Just a reminder to everyone out there, we get most of our hitter and pitcher highlights from the daily articles on the Pitcher List website. The hitter recap and SP roundup articles are incredible resources to read through to see how players performed each day. So make sure you go and check that out. It's a part of my daily routine. I load up Pitcher List, read through all of the latest articles, especially the SP roundup and the hitter recap, and I go about my day. So, Getting right into it, John, who were the hitters and pitchers from this weekend that shined? Yeah, got a bunch of good names here. Starting out with Matt Olson on Friday. Um, he went 4-for-5 with a triple, two homers, four runs, and five RBIs for Atlanta. Um, they've been basically the hottest offense in the National League. Many thanks to Olsen, who's been crushing the ball. Uh, halfway through the season, he's on pace to set career highs in runs, home runs, and RBIs. He's fifth among qualified hitters in OPS. He's got a 938 OPS there. So uh, really solid. Um, and if it wasn't for his teammate, Ronald Cunha Jr., he might have been a no-brainer pick for the National League MVP. So it's kind of nice when two of the best hitters in baseball right now are on your team, and that's kind of what Atlanta's dealing with. And, uh, yeah, Matt Olson's been incredible there. Uh, someone who's been a little struggling a little bit more this season, um, even though he was drafted higher than Matt Olson, has been Manny Machado. On Saturday, he went two for five with two homers, two runs, and three RBIs. Uh, like I mentioned, he's had a rough early season. Part of it is injury, but part of it has just been poor performance. Uh, but it was nice to see, you know, two homers from him on Saturday. Uh, the ratios and the counting stats both have been haven't been really good this this season. Of course, he did miss some time, which is why the counting stats are a little bit lower. Um, but he did lower his strikeout rate, which is good to see. Um, he does also have the lowest walk rate of his career since the 2014 season, which isn't what we want to see. Uh, and the hard contact rate, even though it's in the 83rd percentile among all major leaguers, um, it has dropped as well compared to previous seasons. So um, it, it just hasn't been a very good season for him metrics wise. Um, and, you know, hopefully he's getting back to a hundred percent. The Padres just as a general, as a team have been pretty awful, but um you know, hopefully there's there's signs of life in that offense um, and that Machado can maybe uh, look better during the second half of the season when he's fully healthy. And then rounding out the weekend, Jaron Duran of the Boston Red Sox went 5-for-5 five five with four doubles and three runs on Sunday. In his sophomore season, Duran has turned out to be a ratios monster. He's slashing 309, 358, and 491 with 16 steals as well to boot. He's dramatically improved his hard contact rate, which helps explain how good his slugging percentage has been. It's jumped up over 100 points compared to last year. The counting stats still haven't caught up yet to his ratios. He's like in the mid-20s, I think, in his runs and RBIs. Um, but he is tied for fourth in the major in doubles, uh, really taking advantage, I guess, of, of the green monster. So he's, he's poised to have a really strong second half of the season. Yeah, Matt Olson has been so phenomenal. And to me... It's a tough call. I almost want to put him as first base number one, but Freddie Freeman is just so good that I think mm -hmm. he is by far first base number one. But Matt Olson over Vlad Jr., over Pete Alonzo, over Paul Goldschmidt, I think that's the move. I think Matt Olson's the second best first baseman for fantasy. I mean, he's been so good, and obviously the average is not exactly what you want it's pretty much typical Matt Olson it's 254 right now so you're obviously not getting a huge batting average boost from Matt Olson like you would from say Paul Goldschmidt but mm -hmm. 29 homers 70 RBI I mean Matt Olson is on pace for like 110 to 120 runs and same for RBI so that's just monstrous and obviously that has a lot to do with the Braves lineup as well but Matt Olson just looks phenomenal in points leagues and OVP leagues He's way more significant because his OBP is phenomenal. So he takes a lot of walks and that's good. Maybe he strikes out too much for points leagues, but depends on your settings. But yeah, Olsen has been a monster. And like you said, if Acuna didn't exist, Matt Olsen would possibly be the front runner for NL MVP. Manny Machado, on the other hand, was struggling so bad. And it's good to see him turn it around. I mean, he was looking kind of scary for a bit. And I think when he got injured with that wrist problem... Mm -hmm he really needed that 
time off just mentally. Yeah. And when he came back, he was much stronger. So I'm glad that it was all able to click for him because he's too good to struggle like that, right? Like that's unlike Manny Machado. And then Jaron Duran, I'll save any more comments on because I might talk about him a little bit later. Yeah, looking forward to that. Uh, moving on to pitchers, uh, we're going to start with Graham Ashcraft of the Reds. Uh, he was pitching against San Diego on Friday, finished with 6.2 innings with one earned run, three hits, two walks, and seven strikeouts. The early season high for Ashcraft died very quickly as his May and June were horrendous. He sported a 9.66 ERA and a 1.85 whip during those two months. Uh, compare that, of course, to his April uh, ERA, which I think was like in the low twos. So, yeah, very really just dramatic turnaround for the worst for him. The strikeout rates also have slowly decreased each month. However, he was able to get things to click on Friday against the Padres. His slider had a crazy 55% CSW. The command on his cutter, though, was unfortunately all over the place. Um, just He just couldn't locate anything. I think it was more him getting lucky against the Padres here. Uh, yeah, it just feels like, you know, kind of a bad pitcher running into a worse team as opposed to a good pitching performance from Ashcraft and the signs of life of him turning around. On Saturday, Bailey Ober of My Twins went up, went up against Baltimore, got the win there with seven innings, zero earned runs, two hits, no walks, and eight strikeouts. Ober has surprisingly been a very stable pitcher this season. He's actually, I think, hit more starts than he has last year, and that's kind of been one of Ober's Sticking points is that he has been very injury prone, but this season he's been very healthy. Over 13 starts, he's a 2.7 ERA and a 0.95 whip. Great numbers there. He was near perfect against Baltimore on Saturday, including a solid changeup slider combination that had a combined 47% CSW, just getting you know whips and called strikes with both of those secondary pitches. The pitch separation as well was nice. That's kind of been Ober's calling card. Fastballs up, breaking balls down. Uh, yeah, that fastball was really solid. Even though maybe it wasn't getting the whiffs uh, that it usually does, uh, it was allowing his secondaries to really uh, blossom and get strikes. He's now up to 38th on Nick's top 100 list, which is uh, pretty impressive. I don't really see any reason for him to not continue being in that spot um, as long as he stays healthy. And then rounding out the weekend, Andrew Abbott of the Reds, also against the Padres. Uh, sorry, don't want to pick on the Padres too much, but they aren't that great of a team right now. 7.2 innings, one earned run, four hits, one walk, and 12 strikeouts. Andrew Abbott hasn't been as heralded of a rookie pitcher compared to some of the other debuts this season, but he showed up on Saturday with a 41% CSW facing those Padres. Clearly, all his pitches were on fire. The curveball and the changeup combined were 14 whiffs alone, and the four-seamer was doing work as well. Abbott might be solid trade bait as he's on an incredible hot streak with a 1.2 ERA, 0.88 whip. He's got four wins in his six starts as well. He does have a 190 BABIP, a 100% left on base rate, and a high walk rate as well. All of those metrics don't really indicate that this is truly sustainable. So it might be a good time to get as much value as you can from Abbott. So Graham Ashcraft, I don't believe in for one second. And that also stems from last season I'll never forget I recommended him as a streamer and I was like oh Ashcraft's gonna be so good and then he gave up like eight earned runs and I just hated myself for it so I feel really bad about that to this day <laughs> so sorry everyone if you listen to that advice but yeah I don't believe Graham Ashcraft in this one obviously the Padres have had their own struggles so as you mentioned it was just pretty much a guy that has some potential coming back from a long time off and then dominating a team that's been struggling a little bit so he has shown signs of greatness but I just don't trust it that much Bailey Ober on the other hand I trust a whole lot he has been so good it's ridiculous I think he should even be higher on the list because 38th is probably about right but I see him as top 30 I mean he's been really really good he's been consistent and I think that's the key I think I value consistency more than anything this season because everyone has been so wildly inconsistent so I really appreciate what Bailey Ober is doing. And then talking about not believing again, Andrew Abbott, I mean, his minor league numbers were insane and the strikeout numbers were wild. And that's why we were so intrigued by him. And then he got mm -hmm. called up and didn't strike out anybody. And the walk rate was up. And that was the opposite of what we saw in the minors. But after those first three starts, Abbott went on this ridiculous run where he's now striking more people out, walking less people, and just pitching great. I mean, 
his line, like you said, looks incredible. And I agree with you 100% that if you have him and you could flip him for someone like Bailey Ober or Jesus Lazardo, I would make that swap in a heartbeat because although Andrew Abbott's numbers look great on the surface and he is pitching really well on a team that has a lot of mojo and I believe in team context a lot. If a team is winning, it's contagious and it goes around and people perform better. It just happens like that. So I believe in all of that. But still, the underlying numbers for Andrew Abbott do not look good. So as much as I love what he's doing and I am rooting for him wholeheartedly, I'm kind of worried about the underlying numbers. Right. A hundred percent left on base rate for sure. It's just not sustainable. So. Oh, without a doubt. <laughs> yeah. That that's something gonna go down, and as that go downs, that that kind of means, you know, more hits, more and runs, things like that. So um but it's definitely been a great run for him, uh, and he's shown up really well. Yeah, it's really great to see that Reds team is just super, super exciting. Moving on to Monday, July 3rd, from the Daily Hitting Recap article by Kevin O'Brien, we start with Kyle Tucker of the Astros. He went 4-for-4 four four with a double, a homer, three runs, and four RBI. We mentioned Tucker's big Thursday last week, but he had another huge game on Monday. He's really picked things up as of late and has looked like that first to second round pick that everyone drafted him as. He's got a 293, 366, 479 slash line with 13 homers, 45 runs, 55 RBI, and 14 stolen base for the year so far. So just great things from Kyle Tucker as of late. Michael Harris, the second of the Braves, went two for three with two homers, two runs, and two RBI. He just keeps hitting. In April, he had a 465 OPS. In May, he had a 534 OPS. And then in June... He posted a 1,005 OPS. Ridiculous stuff there. We've mentioned it before, but Harris was clearly playing injured and just wasn't right before because since he came back from the IL, he has been a man on a mission. For those of you that were patient with him, congratulations because he looks like he's going to have a great rest of the season, especially in that Braves lineup. And then last but not least, Michael Garcia of the Royals. He went two for three with a homer, a run, an RBI, and a walk. This 23-year-old rookie has honestly been amazing since he got called up earlier this season. He's got a slash line of 296, 347, 403 with three homers and 13 stolen bases. Coincidentally enough, my comp for Michael Garcia is former Royal Whit Merrifield. Garcia doesn't have a lot of power, but I can see a prime Merrifield-type line of 10 homers, 30 stolen bases for him, and in fantasy, that will play. The one thing that Garcia does that Merrifield never did is hit the ball hard. He's 88th percentile in hard hit percentage and 84th percentile in average exit velocity. Garcia's hard hit rate of 49.7% is actually the second best mark for a Royals hitter this season. So if Michael Garcia is available on your wire and you need a middle infielder or corner infielder, you should definitely pick him up because he looks great and is a low-key AL Rookie of the Year contender. Yeah, that Kyle Tucker game was kind of fun because uh, the the Astros got out to a quick 10-2 lead thanks to Tucker with his grand slam. Uh, and then uh, the Rangers brought it back and the 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 Astros barely won 12-11 which was kind of fun but yeah yeah Tucker Tucker's definitely picked it up which is really good to see for me I have him on one of my fantasy teams um and it's been a slow start for him relatively speaking uh but at least he's getting stolen bases and you know you'd like to see that that OPS a little bit higher um but yeah huge thing to get that grand slam on on Monday uh and yeah Harris is just smacking the ball really um I saw highlights of like that first homer that he hit. Um, and I was looking up the stack house numbers, 106 miles an hour off the bat, 424 yeah. feet. He's just, he's just hitting just incredible right now. Um, so good for him. And then Michael Garcia, funny thing about that was that I think he took the first pitch he saw yard in his first at back. Cause he was, he was batting lead off for the Royals um, up against uh, the twins uh, in Joe Ryan. And um, yeah, it was just like, like oh yeah this kid's got got the real got the real stuff like he just saw first pitch that he saw just took a yard good for him so yeah he's he's definitely been uh sort of a, a hot commodity uh in terms of the stolen bases but it's good to see that the power is also now translating yeah i think he could be a really good player especially at third and short because like i said 10 homers 30 stolen bases is a ridiculously good line and if he can get near that 
he'll be a pretty good fantasy player. Moving on to pitchers from Monday, we have the SP Roundup article Web and Flow by Nick Pollock. We start with Brian Wu of the Mariners, who went six innings pitched, two earned runs, three hits, two walks, and seven strikeouts against the Giants. The four-seamer was electric in this one for Wu, with 10 out of 49 whiffs and a 45% CSW. His arsenal besides the fastball isn't too shabby, but when he's keeping his fastball upstairs, that's the ticket for his success. This was his first start where he was able to get through six innings and log a quality start. He's got a 4.08 ERA, a 1.15 whip, and 39 strikeouts in 28.2 innings pitched. So if he's still out there in your leagues, I'd suggest picking him up because he could be a solid fantasy asset the rest of the way through, especially if Bryce Miller misses more time with that injury. He's got no concern of leaving the rotation, so Brian Wu is a name that you should remember. Then moving on to a name that was hot at the beginning of the season but has really fallen off is Christian Javier of the Astros, who went 4.1 innings pitched, 8 earned runs, 9 hits, no walks, and 4 strikeouts against the Rangers. Yikes. Javier hasn't been great this season. Obviously, this start came against the Rangers and their outstanding offense, but his last three starts have been dreadful. The reason why he's struggling so much is because his fastball has lost some vertical movement and has failed to miss bats as of late. Combo that with the fact that he struggles to throw his slider for strikes, and you have a two-pitch pitcher that has no promise. If Javier can fix the fastball problems, then he can return to form, so I wouldn't drop him quite yet if you're considering that. I get why you would want to because he has been really bad, but I don't think that you should drop him, and I also don't think that you can start him right now until he shows some signs of life because it's just not looking good. When you're a two-pitch pitcher, this is the problem that can happen, and... Obviously, Spencer Strider has taken a leap forward and has introduced a little bit of a change up here and there. So he's improving a little bit. Hunter Green has still found some success, but had his struggles as well. So these two pitch pitchers can struggle like this. And if they go through a stretch like this, it is not pretty. But what is pretty, though, is Joe Ryan of the Twins, who went six innings pitched, two earned runs, six hits and one walk with nine strikeouts against the Royals. To start the season, Ryan was putting up best pitcher in baseball type of numbers. However, since then, he's been very up and down. He had a complete game shutout on June 22nd against the Red Sox, and then the next start in Atlanta, he went three innings pitch with six earned runs. So it was nice to see him have a great outing on Monday following that blow up, but Joe Ryan is just a great pitcher. Top 20 rest of season easily, and I just like him a whole lot. He's really good. Yeah, uh, Brian Rue's been one of those guys where He's, I mean, he's been up and down. Obviously, his first debut start was just awful. Yeah. Um, but it's nice to see him get six innings and a quality start. And like you said, with Bryce Miller going to the IL, the, the Mariners have no reason to send Wu down. They're going to keep him up. And, you know, more experience is just always better, you know, going up against major leaguers and being able to show how good your stuff is. Um, I think that's, that's just a great opportunity for him. And, and it's good to see him do well against the Giants. Um, and then, yeah, that Joe Ryan start was, it was kind of up and down, to be honest. Like, like I mentioned, Michael Garcia, you know, took, took him yard on the first pitch. Um, but he's, he was able to shut the rest of the offense down. Granted, it was the Royals. So, you know, nine strikeouts is, is, you know, solid, but somewhat expected almost. Um, but it's nice to see him performing well back to his potential after that weird Atlanta start. Um, it was also not that, it was also kind of weird because he gave up five homers in that game against Atlanta. So, you know, you just kind of brush it as, well, Atlanta's really, really good. And if you take that that start out, um, then he's he looks really solid. So, yeah, Joe Ryan for sure, top 20 pitcher. I don't know if he's really top 10. I don't know if he, he, he still needs to develop the secondaries a little bit more. Um, but, uh, uh, yeah, it, it's it's looking like a really good season for him. Yeah, I completely agree. If those secondaries improve even just a little bit, I mean, Joe Ryan could easily be a top 10 pitcher, but for now, top 20 is a pretty safe range to put him in. Yeah. Well, moving on to July 4th, uh, happy Independence Day. We're going to start, thanks Mark Stubinger, with the hitting recap article, Jonathan India of the Reds, three for six with two homers, three runs, and three RBI. The Red Hot Reds have been incredible in June, and while it's easy to be overshadowed by a certain rookie, which we'll you know, mentioned a little bit. Jonathan India has been an integral part of their run to the top of the ALS, NL Central. After a pretty poor sophomore season following his uh, Rookie of the Year award in 2021, India has put up a respectable third season with a 769 OPS, 
He's improved his strikeout rate, and he's also increased his hard contact rate as well. He also has 12 steals this season, uh, so he should be able to easily surpass his career numbers there. Um, and along with that, he also has pretty good numbers in the run and RBI departments as well. I believe he's like six in runs total. So uh, really solid showing for, for India um, this season. Another middle infielder, Glaber Torres of the Yankees. Uh, two for four with a double a homer, three runs, two RBIs, and a walk on Tuesday. Uh, the Yankees have struggled to maintain a league average offense with Aaron Judge gone, leaving a lot more responsibility on Torres to help shoulder the offense. Uh, his ratios have been pretty awful this season. Uh, just His average is, is pretty bad. I think it's like in the 240s or something like that. But his plate discipline has improved by a lot, which is kind of surprising. He's lowered his strikeout rate from 23% to 14%, and he's increased his walk rate from 7% to 10%. So, you know, good changes there in his plate discipline. It just isn't translating to actual stats. While he's nowhere on pace for his incredible 2019 season, he should be able to do better than last year, where he finished with 73 runs, 24 homers, and 76 RBI. He looks on pace to break those. I think he has 13 homers on the season uh, after this game, kind of in the mid-30s in terms of runs and RBI. So I think he should be able to surpass that. It's obviously not like electric numbers, and that's why Torres is not really considered you know, a top 10 uh, you know, shortstop or second baseman, but he's good enough to be, you know, a utility guy. And, you know, those numbers will hold for, for guys like that. I'm not sure why Jonathan India is like criminally slept on. Like even yeah. people outside of the Reds organization were like, Jonathan India is going to have to go for all the Reds rookies to shine and stuff. And it's like Jonathan India is in his third season and he's been nothing but good. He had obviously a little bit of a struggle in his sophomore season, but he's been great for his entire time with the Reds, and he can easily have a spot on that team without having to move him to make room for other people. So I don't get that whole narrative. That was just a side thing that I was thinking, like, why is India like that? I looked it up. Yeah, he's tied for sixth in runs scored this season with 64. So just remarkable on that front. He's been a great contributor for fantasy purposes and for real-life purposes, just helping the Reds score a lot of runs there. And then Glaber Torres, yeah, he's had a pretty good season so far. Nothing crazy, but in terms of second base and your middle infield 13 homers seven stolen bases all really good and he should probably end the year with something like a 20 to 25 homer 15 stolen base season with 60 to 70 rbi and 70 runs it's pretty good yeah although fun thing about india i mean even his dad sleeps on him because uh he's, he's his dad's not willing to watch his games live i love that he watches the <laughs> mets games live and then yeah. he records the Reds games and watches them after. Like, what a legend. That's my guy right there. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's so funny. But, yeah, India has been really solid. And even the guy that I was trying to avoid this year in drafts just because of how bad last season was, I, I didn't believe it. But, yeah, he's turned it around this season, which is uh, pretty impressive. Moving on to pitchers, uh, thanks to Nick Pollock for the Tariq World uh, article. We're going to start with... Logan Gilbert of Seattle uh, going up against the Giants. He got the win with a nine-inning, zero-earned run, five hits, no walks, seven Ks uh, performance. Just a great outing from Gilbert as his slider dominated with 12 whips. It was also getting outs on balls in play. Uh, he also showed increased velocity on the slider, uh, helping to mask it a little bit compared to his trusty fastball. Increasing the velocity basically gives it a little bit more, you know, sharp vertical break as opposed to being a little bit more of a, uh, you know, like a horizontal break sort of pitch. And that, I guess, just helps play off his fastball really well. It still wasn't a huge whiff pitch uh, this season. You know, we were kind of all hoping for Gilbert to develop a really sick secondary. Um, the, the slider actually gets more called strikes than whiffs, which I think is pretty interesting. Uh, but seeing it become a more legit part of his arsenal is going to help Gilbert a lot for the rest of the season. It's not going to get 12 whiffs every single night, but if it can help get him, you know, just a few more whiffs and allow him to, you know, throw not throw that fastball as much, I think it'll be a really solid um, improvement for Gilbert. Uh, and then Aaron Nola of the Phillies went up against Tampa Ray, got the win with 7.1 innings, one and run, five hits, one walk, and 12 strikeouts. Nola has been having a really weird season with a 4.3 ERA, but he has a really solid 1.10 whip. Again, that probably just screams inconsistency uh, like he has been this season. He'll have elite starts like this one against Tampa Bay. And then in other starts, he just gives up four plus runs. But he also is turning in great strikeout numbers at the same time. 
Command has been his struggle this year, as his patented curveball has been giving up a lot of long balls, despite really good overall metrics. It's actually really weird when you dig into Aaron Nola, because all his individual pitch metrics look good. He's whiffing a lot of guys, he's getting called strikes. You know, his his fastball, I think, has like a, a 190 average against or something like that. But then you look at his overall stats, and they just look terrible. He's giving up runs like none other. Um, you know, like he it's, he struggles to get quality starts, things like that. Uh, so yeah, it's just a really weird enigma for Nola. I just chalk it up to the fact that he just has a good season every other season, and this is his season to have a bad season. So, uh, you know, if you believe in simple uh, analysis like that, then uh, you can stick with that one. So I'm thrilled about this Nola start because I have two shares of Nola, and like you said, he's kind of been inconsistent. And I've watched a majority of his starts, especially with him being in the NL East, playing the Mets, and just following him because I have him in fantasy. He just runs into one inning, kind of like what happened with Sandy, Mm -hmm. where he just kind of gives up everything, and it's somewhat to the defense, and then he'll give up a homer, and that on top of that just leads to four earned runs. He'll go six innings always and have four earned runs and not get a quality start. He'll get like a strikeout per inning. It's frustrating. It's really, really frustrating, but then I see starts like this, and I'm like, yeah, this is what you're capable of. This is why I drafted you as an ace. This is what I want, and it's incredible to see this start from Nola against the Rays, nonetheless. But 7.1 innings pitch and 12 strikeouts is exactly what I was looking for. So that gives me a lot of hope going into the second half of the season and post-All-Star break. I think Nola is going to be very, very good. He has been good this season, but he's just been inconsistent. So just stick with Nola. I think he's going to be absolutely fine and should be your ace moving forward. And then Logan Gilbert's just been great all season. Like, we're not sure on how believable it is and how good those secondaries are and whatnot, but he's just really good. He just gets the job done, and I really like that in a pitcher. And like I said before, in a season full of inconsistency, Logan Gilbert has been pretty consistent. Sure, he's had a few blow-up starts, but you kind of know what you're going to get out of Logan Gilbert. He gets a strikeout per inning, low whip, Mm -hmm. 3.80 RA. He's perfectly fine, and I really like Logan Gilbert. Right. He's just, like, super consistent, but he's not, like, elite consistent. Right, and that's like the next step that you want to see him take is where he can, every outing, be consistent and give you the numbers that you want and not have those blowups. If he can negate those blowups and use secondaries better, he'll Mm -hmm. be close to an ace. Yep, for sure. Moving on to Wednesday, July 5th, we have the Daily Hitting Recap article by Jim Chatterton. We start with Sean Murphy of the Braves, who went 4-for-5 with a double, a homer, three runs, and two RBI. Murphy has been the best catcher for fantasy this season with a slash line of 305, 397, 580 across 65 games. He's hit 15 home runs, scored 40 runs, and has 50 RBI. In Wednesday's game, he had three hits that were over 109 mile per hour exit velocity. Murphy also has the highest hard hit rate of his career with 48.8%. He's sitting in the heart of that Braves lineup, which we've been talking about all podcasts, is just electric from Michael Harris to Acuna to Olsen. Sean Murphy is right there with them. And if you drafted Murphy in the middle rounds this season, you are absolutely cashing out right now because he is putting up similar numbers to Will Smith, who was drafted in the first seven rounds. So Sean Murphy has been a steal this season. And speaking of catchers, Yiner Diaz of the Astros went two for four with two home runs, two runs, and three RBI. Diaz has only played in 48 games this season, but has a slash line of 267, 282, 515, with 10 homers, 20 runs, and 21 RBI. Now, that slash line may not look great, but... Once he started getting more consistent playing time at the end of May, his slash line from then to now is 291, 301, 609. So much better as of late. The only problem is that his playing time is mainly resulting from Jordan Alvarez being on the IL. So when he returns, we're not sure on what the fate of Yiner Diaz will be. But Diaz is probably rosterable in 10-team or deeper one-catcher leagues at the moment. But he really shines in deeper two-catcher league formats. So if you're struggling with your catcher spot and need some pop, Yiner Diaz is good for now, but don't plan on him being your long-term option. And then lastly, shout out to Ellie De La Cruz of the Reds, who went three for six with two doubles, a homer, two runs, an RBI, and a stolen base. What's this week in fantasy baseball without mentioning Ellie? Come on, 
He's so much fun to watch and is an absolute beast. Did you actually watch the game, John? Because in his first at-bat, he had a little knob thing on the end of his bat. It was clear. It looked like a cap, like a lens thing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And the Nationals manager, Davey Martinez, was like, hey, check his bat. And the umpires got together and was like, hey, you got to take that off. We don't know what that is. And they were like, hey, it's for analytics. It registers his swing metrics and whatnot and his speed and whatnot. And they said, you got to take it off. So we took it off for that at-bat. He struck out. Then in between his at-bat then and his next at-bat, the Reds got confirmation that he can use that on the end of his knob. So he put it back on. He hit a homer that went 460 feet. And then he pointed to the knob, threw his bat down, and took his lap around the bases. And, <laughs> man, Ellie De La Cruz is fun. Yeah, I, I, I didn't watch it because I was at the Twins game, but I was reading all the articles about it because I was, I mean, just checking Twitter at the same time while I was at the game. And, yeah, there was something about, like, oh, Davey Martinez is, you know, yada, 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 stuff like that. And and then, you know, obviously Ellie celebrating the, the homer. Um, yeah, it's it's – he, he's so electric it's it's kind of ridiculous how good he is um yeah it's kind of weird that he it's not that weird that he struggled with that first first strikeout obviously it's just it's a weird situation overall it gets you out of your rhythm yep. yada, yada, yada. but um yeah to follow that up with then two doubles a home run and a stolen base just yeah he is he's so good it's kind of crazy yeah, I just love watching Ellie. I'm so happy to have a few shares of him because it makes it even more fun. But, man, he is just so sick. I can't believe it. Like, I feel like every time he hits a homer, he steals a base as well. And that's just infinitely productive for your team. So, Ellie De La Cruz, keep being awesome. Moving on to pitchers from Wednesday from the SP Roundup article, Killer Dean by Nick Pollock. We start with the title boy himself, Dean Kramer of the Orioles who went seven innings pitched, one earned run, four hits, one walk, and ten strikeouts against the Yankees. This season, Kramer has been, well, confusing. He has some starts where he looks really good and others where he gets just obliterated. He's gotten five quality starts in his last eight starts, and over that time, he's gotten over a strikeout per inning. He has a solid arsenal equipped with a cutter, four-seamer, sinker, changeup curveball, and slider, but the key to his success is having that cutter play off of the four-seamer. If he has that going, he looks pretty lethal and can register 10 strikeouts against a team like the Yankees. If he can consistently control his arsenal, Kramer could be someone worth rostering in fantasy rather than being just a streamer. Pablo Lopez of the Twins went 9 innings pitched, no earned runs, 4 hits, no walks, and 12 strikeouts against the Royals. Lopez has been incredible all season with some minor hiccups along the way. For the season, he has a 3.89 ERA, a 1.09 whip, and 138 Ks in 111 innings pitched. In this start, Lopez had everything working, a 42% CSW in total with 17 whiffs to boot. The four-seamer had a 46% CSW, the curveball and the changeup had 40% CSWs, and the sweeper was thrown for strikes 76% of the time. He looked dominant in this one and has been incredible for your fantasy teams this year. And last but not least, Kodai Senga of the Mets. He went eight innings pitched, one earned run, four hits, one walk, and 12 strikeouts against the Diamondbacks. It feels like I haven't been able to talk about a Mets player for quite some time, in a positive manner, that is. So it's nice to talk <laughs> about Senga's stellar performance. He's a cherry bomb at heart, but his cherries are a little bit sweeter than others and more sweet as of late. I think that if he can keep earning strikes with the cutter, keep making that forkball dash down and out of the zone, and if the fastball and slider get just a little bit better, he can lose the cherry bomb tag as soon as next season. He had 18 whiffs and a 36% CSW against a tough Diamondbacks lineup in this one, and that just shows you how dominant he was, so it's good to see Sanga back with that ghost forkball dominating offenses. Yeah, Dean Kramer's been really really solid and we'll talk about him a little bit at the end of this podcast but yeah it's it's also just been inconsistent um he was kind of destroyed by the twins i think in his his most recent start if i'm remembering my baseball uh teams correctly but um yeah he he has been it's he has been so good when he's on right like you mentioned five quality starts in his last eight starts got a strikeout per inning but that also means that he's had three starts where they've been absolute duds, and that's just, um, yeah, just kind of unfortunate. 
Pablo Lopez, that was such a fun, fun game to be at. Uh, obviously, you know, complete game shutouts are just incredible to watch. And for the Twins, like, you know, like you mentioned, Joe Ryan had one 13 days ago. Um, and then it had been six years since the last time the, the Twins had a complete game shutout. So um, just incredible. The Twins pitching in general has been really, really good this, this season. This The entire rotation has been um, incredible. And he was getting a little bit of a generous um, generous strike zone thanks to, you know, good friend Phil Cuzzy. Uh, but uh, at the same time, like, his his changeup and his sweeper were so good just in, in getting whips um, that, uh, you know, even if he got a little bit more generous of the zone, it didn't matter. He was uh, he was going to destroy um, destroy the Royals in terms of pitching. Um, and then, yeah, I looked back. Dean Kramer got shelled for seven earned runs at his most recent start against the Twins. So, yep. yeah, <laughs> it's just it's kind of just shows like really great start. And then right before that, just a really terrible start. Yeah, he either gets obliterated, like I said, or he has a performance that looks like this where you're just like, what are you doing on the other days? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like, did you like forget to pitch or something? Yeah, or like just not warm up correctly. What's going on? Did you not stretch? Like, yeah. <laughs> what happened here? <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 kind of weird, but um, you know, starts like starts like this give you a little bit of confidence for sure. And he's been definitely better better more often than he's been poor. So, um, that's nice. And then yeah, Kodai Senga, like 12 strikeouts. I, like this has to be his best start, right? This season. Yeah, it's one of the best. I think he had another performance that he had 11 strikeouts and he looked really good, but this is definitely mm-hmm. the best one. Right. And also coming against the Diamondbacks. So, um yeah just a really really good start something to definitely build on hopefully that entire rotation kind of turns it around because they've all been kind of lagging a little bit this season um and so yeah it's it's good to see good performance from him and hopefully that that kind of translates to the rest of the team as well yeah so i just looked and he went six innings 12 strikeouts one earned run against the rays on may 17th so okay pretty similar to this one but in this one he went eight innings which is infinitely better (laughs) Clearly, he just needs to face like top of the division teams all the time because yeah. really he just performs well against good competition. Yeah, and stinks against others. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, moving on to Thursday's games, uh, we're going to talk about Javier Baez, of course, of the Tigers. He went three for three with two runs, two RBIs, and a walk. Baez's season has been, uh, well, an absolute disaster. He's slashing 219, 254, and 325. He's pretty much lost all power with only six homers on the season. This was a guy who's hit 30 homers before. So the fact that he only has six halfway through is just kind of egregious. You really can't blame it just on Comerica for that. Um, He's smashing also just so many balls into the ground. Um, Even though his hard contact rate is above average, I think it's like in the 58th percentile, Half of those hard hit balls are in are just straight into the ground because his ground ball rate is just so high. A perfect day at the plate is definitely nice for him to build off of, but it's difficult to assume that he's going to get any better as the season moves on. Uh, Cody Bellinger, who plays for his old team, uh, the Chicago Cubs, uh, also had a great day. Four for four with two runs, one homer, and three RBI. It's probably still too early to say that Belly is fully back, uh, but there are signs that he's not completely lost and just, you know, a shell of his former self. He's currently slashing 284, 341, 456, and is showing off the speed with 10 steals on the season as well. The other counting stats are a little bit stunted due to time missed thanks to injury. Um, his plate discipline, though, has improved dramatically. He lowered his striker rate from 27% to 18%, kind of back to the range where it was when he had his you know, MVP and All-Star seasons. The main worrying stat for Belly is his inability to hit the ball hard with a hard contact rate that ranks in the ninth percentile in the majors. He probably should be rostered in 12-teamers still as an outfielder three, but that feels like his ceiling uh, for this season. And then a game that is still in progress, but we just had to highlight it because it's it's kind of ridiculous. Gunnar Henderson is currently four for five uh, with three runs, five RBIs, and two homers against the Yankees. Uh, Henderson has been really solid. We talked about him a couple weeks ago, um, but it's nice to see him just completely dominate 
uh, the game right now. He's currently slashing 248, 341, 469. So not like electric numbers. Obviously, he's still just a rookie. But it's good to see him, you know, show off the power, two homers, uh, as well as getting those five RBIs, which is really nice considering that he is batting leadoff. So just good on the ball, good on Baltimore for even getting guys on base for him. Uh, but yeah, this season so far, you know, he's had 11 homers, he's had 30 RBIs, so not really a great season in terms of counting stats. But it's nice to see him basically heat up uh, as the season goes on. Yeah. So not many comments on Baez and Henderson. It's great to see Henderson breaking out again almost because mm-hmm. we were so high on him going into the season and then he just struggled mightily where people were just dropping him straight up yep. and now he looks back to normal so good for Gunnar Henderson you love to see that from a rookie you never want to see anybody like that struggle but Cody Bellinger is someone that is very interesting because his underlying numbers his baseball savant page all of that looks horrible he looks yeah. atrocious but He is a former MVP, and I think people forget that. And obviously, he struggled really, really badly when he started tinkering with his swing after he won the MVP, which makes zero sense to me. I don't know why you wouldn't just stick with what's working. The classic phrase, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Why are you tinkering Mm -hmm. with your swing? Yep. So that always confused me, and he has never been right since. He was injured. He was struggling. There was a lot of things going wrong with Bellinger, but I liked when he got signed by the Cubs because... It's just a fresh environment. There's no platooning. There's no pressure to be really good. And he's just really shined. And if he didn't miss a lot of time with injury, which it was after he ran into the wall and making a great catch, he would be having a really good season statistically. Not underlying, but statistically. Like, right now he has Mm -hmm. seven homers and ten stolen bases, which is really good. And if he was healthy the whole season, I think his line would look really similar to Christian Yelich's, who looks really good this season and if you said hey Christian Yelich is someone that's a top 15 outfielder right now you couldn't really argue it and if you had the same line from Cody Bellinger you'd be really happy so I'm confused when people are not in on Bellinger I am I actually roster him in my 10 team home league and I think he's been really good and this is one of those rare scenarios where you'd love to see the stat cast numbers be better but they're not, mm-hmm. and he's still performing. So imagine if they do get better. I think he could just be a really, really good player, and I think he could finish the year with 15 to 20 homers and 25 to 30 steals. I don't think that's outlandish. So, yeah, I like Cody Bellinger a lot. I think he's doing some very interesting things, and currently he's on a 12-game hit streak. He's got first base and outfield eligibility. Just a lot of things to like about Cody Bellinger, but you can't forget about the red flags of the not hitting the ball hard and that really lackluster Savant page. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the steals are actually kind of the most in- interesting thing. I yeah, think, absolutely. Because um, he's pretty much, he, I think his career high is like 15 in the season or something like that. So the fact that he has 10 already, like he's contributing basically in a category that you weren't expecting him to contribute in, which I think is really cool. Yeah, 15 is his high, which was in 2019. And mm-hmm. that was his MVP year. And then his other years were 10, 14, 6, 3, 14, and now 10. So he's pretty much on pace to shatter his previous record so yeah moving on to pitchers then we talk about this guy in my opinion way too much but we keep talking about him because he just has performances that are worth talking about lance lynn of the chicago white Sox, seven innings with one hit one walk and 11 strikeouts in a season of starts where lynn you know has been unrosterable basically he pulls us back in with this gem of a game against the blue jays the four-seamer earned 12 whiffs, while the cutter was a great second pitch with a 42% CSW, also earning seven whiffs on his own. Probably what's most infuriating about Lynn this year is how good the strikeout numbers look compared to how bad everything else looks. He's a good strikeout rate, good whiff rate, uh, but he just can't put it together for an entire game. It's like being a dead horse, though. It's it's so much fun to talk about Lance Lynn, but then he also <laughs> just has these just really awful games. I think his ERA is like 6.4 or something like that right now. So yeah, he, he shouldn't be on your team. But it's it starts like this that you know just pull you back a little, little bit and you're like oh maybe it'd be fun to you know roster Lance Lynn don't he gets Atlanta next so definitely don't start him in that one. Um, the guy opposite from him was Jose Barrios of you know the Blue Jays. He had pretty much the, almost the same exact line: seven innings, one hit, one walk, but only managed six strikeouts. But he was just as good limiting base runners. His sinker was getting called strikes. The four seamer and changeup helped out as well. 
which is needed because his signature curveball was awful, only managing two whiffs on 28 pitches. It does look like Brios has fully righted the shift after a disastrous season last year. Is looking like his normal self, which is just kind of like an okay pitcher. Uh, Brios is, you know, just kind of known as the great undulator just because no matter how poor he does throughout the season, he kind of always ends up with an ERA in like the mid threes and then like a 1.2 whip or something like that, which is like perfectly fine if you consider, you know, the, the long run of a season. It's just frustrating from start to start because it just can't be consistent. But uh, last season obviously was pretty terrible. This season, it actually kind of looks like he's kind of back in that normal Jose Barrios form. Yeah, this was a true pitcher's duel where both guys looked dominant. I was watching the start, and they were both dealing. And they really couldn't be touched, as you see by the one hit from each and one walk from each. It was impressive. Lance Lynn, God, how many times do I have to mention this guy? It's so frustrating. But yeah, as you mentioned, the strikeout numbers are still fantastic. I mean, he struck out 16 in a start. He struck out 11 in this start. Like, he's been really good strikeout wise but it just doesn't match up with how everything else is he gets eight strikeouts in a game but gives up nine singles and a homer and he has six earned runs like it makes zero sense on how Mm -hmm. this happens so he's been so confusing this year he's been so frustrating he's been so unrosterable like you mentioned so Lance Lynn is just an enigma this season I really don't know how he's doing this or what he's doing but I just don't want to be a part of it anymore. I really don't. And I think he's going to have a really strong second half, which just kills me because I got rid of him everywhere. But it's just something I don't want to be a part of. It's like a train that you know is going off of a cliff, but you just Mm -hmm. can't get off of it. I'm finally off of it. I just, I can't do it anymore. And then Jose Barrios has actually been really good this season, which is good to see. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But now we'll take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll give you some hitter and pitcher suggestions to stream. Stay tuned. All right, we are back, and it's time to end the stream off with the pitcher and hitter streamers. John, who are some pitcher streamers for the people? Yeah, well, like we mentioned, the all-star break is next week, so there aren't really a ton of options to stream because we've got a four-day break. And, you know, some teams might shift their rotations as well. Um, So, yeah, here are some quick options that might be available in your league. Like we mentioned already, Dean Kramer. 30% 30% roster in Yahoo, 30% on ESPN. He goes up against Miami on Friday. Um, he just had a great performance against the Yankees. He is susceptible to blowups, but Miami is just a league average offense. And, you know, there's a chance that he can dominate them just like he dominated the Yankees. Um, obviously, he's not going to get 10 strikeouts, but this should be a good opportunity for at least a win. And then the other guy that I'm, you know, hesitantly recommending is JP Sears. Uh, He goes against Minnesota on Saturday. The Twins' offense did come alive against the Royals um, and also in the Orioles series most recently. Like I mentioned, they tagged Dean Kramer for seven runs there. But they still have a big tendency to strike out. Uh, Sears has had decent whiff rates and strikeout rates this season and a great whip. So while this might not result in a win, Sears might be able to do just enough that this might be a solid enough stream. That being said, though, he did have a poor... His most recent start was was pretty poor. Um, but if he can get his, you know, stuff working, getting whips and strikeouts, that should be good enough to survive against the Twins. Yeah, so Dean Kramer, as we mentioned, he's a great stream option in general, especially against bad offenses like the Yankees that he just previously had success against and the Marlins, which he goes up against soon. So I like Kramer a lot. I would definitely recommend him. The Orioles are starting to catch fire, so... Like I said, it spreads around the clubhouse. The pitchers want to perform better. The hitters want to hit more. So it's always a good thing to see. And I really like the Dean Kramer recommendation. So I also second that. And then JP Sears is someone that I've streamed throughout the entire season where he gets a good amount of strikeouts. If you roll him out there against a good matchup, he can perform really well. He can go seven innings. It's something you like to see, especially in quality starts. Obviously for wins, it's a little bit dicey, but... I really do like J.P. Sears, and it's crazy that you recommended him against your twins. I think that's a wild statement to make, but hey, kudos to you. That's very (laughs) professional of you to recommend him. I like J.P. Sears a lot, but I will say, too, good job last week. I did stream Maeda based on the recommendation, and I'm keeping him on my team for now because he looks great, but Maeda was great against the Royals. So we listen to our own advice over here, so make sure you pick up Dean Kramer and J.P. Sears, if you're looking for some streamer options. For my bat recommendations, 
There's two guys I want to mention. The first one being someone we already mentioned this podcast. It's Jaron Duran of the Red Sox. He's 32% rostered on Yahoo, which means he's like negative 5% rostered on ESPN. We spoke about Duran a bit earlier when highlighting last weekend's performance. And like John mentioned, he's been really good this season when he's played. He's increased his hard hit rate. He's 80th percentile in hard hit percentage. He's making more contact as of late where he's ranked 79th percentile for expected batting average, and he's got 95th percentile sprint speed. All things that make someone valuable for fantasy. Duran had a red hot streak earlier this season, but he's been recently batting leadoff for the Red Sox and has given some quality counting stats. If you need a hot bat or an outfield replacement, if you happen to lose Trout or Jazz to injury recently, look no further than Jaron Duran. And then also I wanted to mention Spencer Torkelson of the Tigers. He's only got first base eligibility, so there's not many places to play him, but he's been really good as of late. In his last eight games, he's hit four home runs. He's got eight RBI. He scored a bunch of runs. He's got a good OBP. So Spencer Torkelson is looking really good. And if he could finish the season strong, I definitely recommend rostering him. He's 27% roster on Yahoo. So not many teams roster him. And if he can catch fire, obviously the Tigers team around him isn't very good, but he's got a lot of pedigree. So I'd like to bet on those kind of guys, and Spencer Torkelson is a very good hitter. So hopefully it all clicks and he can finish this year strong. Yeah, I think both uh, Duran and Torkelson are good options if you're looking for hot bats. Um, Duran especially, I mean, he's just getting, he's hitting doubles like none other. Um, that really helps, especially if you're in a slugging percentage league. Um, and yeah, Tork, I think we're just kind of waiting for him to put everything together, right? And and once he does, like he'll be a really solid batter. And even now, you know, if he, even if he doesn't have everything together, if he has just enough, that that's a serviceable guy on your roster. Yeah, I think both guys are a little bit under-rostered. Obviously, it's tough because I know a lot of people play in 8-team, 10-team leagues, and you can't really make a spot for them. But in 12-team leagues or deeper, both of these guys should be rostered in every league because they are talents that have prospect pedigree they are really good and they're performing right now and that's what you want to see so if you need steals help if you need runs help Jaron Duran's a great option if you want some pop Spencer Torkelson's a great option so both of these guys a little under rostered and could help your fantasy teams but that wraps up this episode of this week in fantasy baseball before you all go make sure you follow us on twitter at this week pl and send us your comments and questions at thisweekplpod at gmail.com. The All-Star break is coming up. So if you have any questions, now is a great time to send them. Trade advice, any advice pertaining to how we do strategy or who we should pick up, etc. All of that stuff, send it to our email, send it to us on Twitter. We'd love to help you. You can follow John on Twitter at thejohnka, that's T-H-E-J-O-H-N-K-E. And you can follow myself on Twitter at regicidal, that's R-E-G-I-C-I-D-A-L. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to the Pitcher List podcast feed on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you listen to your podcasts on. And please, if you wouldn't mind, leave us a five-star review. If you enjoy the show, it helps us out greatly. Lastly, sign up for Pitcher List Plus. By doing so, you can join us in the PitcherList Discord and get advice from all of the fantasy experts and writers over there. But that's all for this week. We won't be back next week because we too are taking a little bit of a break and resting up for the All-Star break, but we'll be back the following week. So make sure you tune in for that episode of This Week in Fantasy Baseball. But for John, I'm Lee, and we'll see you in the next one. Later, everyone. Later, everyone.